0: Well, if you'd open up to First uh, Thessalonians chapter one, we'll be picking it up at verse six today. First Thessalonians chapter one, we'll be starting at verse six. And as you turn there, let's go to the Lord once again for prayer uh, that He an- anoints me to proclaim His truth. Father in Jesus, precious name, I, I just thank you so much for our church family. I thank you so much, Lord, for the the people that are here today. As things get uh, hot in the kitchen, as our government gets more and more opposed to the preaching of the gospel, may you draw us closer to you and draw us closer to each other so we really can be a body of believers. We can really be a family of believers. And thank you, Lord, that there's still people, there's still a remnant, they want to hear your word preached. They're tired of the w- faulty wisdom of man. They're tired of fake news. And they want to hear your, your word proclaimed. And so I pray, Lord, that today they would not be disappointed. Some people came a short way. Some people came a long way, Lord. But they came to hear your word proclaimed, not the, the faulty wisdom of man. So I pray, Lord, that you would cancel the man that you would anoint me with your spirit, fill me with your spirit, so that I would proclaim your truth. I pray that I would not lead anyone astray today, but that you would speak through me and speak through your word so that we could not only know your truth, but that your spirit would empower us to obey your truth from the heart so that we could be pleasing in your sight through the power of the Holy Spirit and for your glory. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. Well, last week we got into 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, the week before was an introduction and all. We remember that greeting that the Apostle Paul gives, that grace and peace, and we, we saw that Paul didn't just invent that, he's uniting Gentile and Jews in the gospel, but he also got that Uh, from the ancient priestly blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Um, And the the Lord uh, give you peace. And so grace and peace, he wishes upon them. And then he goes really out of the way to thank God for the Thessalonian believers. That really, really convicted me reading about how much Paul thanked God for believers that he had just spent one year with planting the church. And uh, it shows me that pastors like myself, we need to be uh, more grateful, more thankful. Uh, we, should, we all need to be more grateful and thankful, but pastors ought to be more grateful and thankful for their flocks. And, um, and then Paul thanks, he thanks God for the Thessalonian believers and he mentions their faith, hope, and love. And, um, and that's my prayer, that we would be people of faith. Faith not in ourselves, but faith in the Lord Jesus. That we would be people of hope. Our hope would not be in the things of this world, that our hope would be in the Lord Jesus and his return and that we would be people of love, people who through the power of the Holy Spirit love God with our whole being and then love our neighbors as ourselves. So now we pick it up in verse 6, and Paul tells us in verses 6 through 8 that the Thessalonians became followers of Paul, and in doing so they became followers of the Lord. So look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, and you became followers of us. That's Paul and his team, Paul, Silas, and Timothy. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction. There was a lot of persecution going on there for the Thessalonian believers. Uh, they received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia, the region of Macedonia, and Achaia, the region uh, of Achaia, which is pretty much what we call Greece. So you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, Achaia who believe. So you see, Paul saying, "Look, you follow us, and we follow the Lord." So, so Paul and his team—they're following the Lord. And now the Thessalonians are following Paul and his team, and now they're being examples for others throughout. Now the gospel's starting to reach out to, to Europe, and, uh, and now people can start following them because they'll be setting examples. So they became, the Thessalonians became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia, to all who believe. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything, okay? And so the Thessalonians became followers of Paul and the Lord. Let me me ask you this. If people follow you, are they really following the Lord? What kind of example are you setting for others? Okay? If somebody was looking up to you, let's say uh let's say you're a dad and your son looks up to you and he's he mimics you, he follows you, he imitates you in every way. Is he following the Lord or are you leading him in the wrong direction? But that's an important thing. Paul could say, "Uh you became followers of us and the Lord because Paul and his team were following the Lord." Okay? This is this is vitally important. I can I cannot get into the details in public, uh, but because my dad, uh, my dad was like he was like a Christ-centered Catholic, and obviously I came out of Roman Catholicism. I don't think it's biblical. I think the gospel message is there, but it's buried with uh, with with lies and the wisdom of man and, and tradition and all. But my dad and his brothers tended to be Christ-centered, Bible-reading Catholics who were very humble and acknowledged that they deserved hell. And if they were getting to heaven, it was only through Christ and his salvation. And, um, but let me tell you, people were watching him. People were watching him. It wasn't just what my dad did intentionally that kept me and my brother Mark out of trouble. Okay. I'm, I'm talking big trouble. Just the life that he lived caused people who could have recruited us into a life of really big trouble, so I don't know that I would even be here today, okay? Um, Others would watch him, powerful people, and out of respect for him, wouldn't mess with me and my brother Mark. But what I'm getting at is people were watching my dad, Joe Fernandez, when he didn't even know it, okay? Okay? People are watching us when we don't even know it. So I can do a good job at school, and I I could tell the students how much I love them, and I could teach the Bible to them, and I could set a good example and not get angry and all that kind of stuff and bear the fruit of the Spirit in my classroom. But am I bearing the fruit of the Spirit when I'm just walking down the hall? And when maybe little kids that I don't teach when they're looking at me and wondering about, about me and stuff. But I'm telling you, all eyes are on us. We're being watched. You know, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the world will know that you're my dis- my disciples when you have love for one another. We're being watched. God's watching us. but People are watching us as well. Baby believers, non-believers, and, uh, and so if people watch us and then follow us, are they really following the Lord? Only if we're following the Lord. Now, the Thessalonians, they received the word in much affliction and suffering, a lot of persecution. There were riots going on because of Christianity. Okay, that's come. That's making a comeback now. Um, we're, you know, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't matter how stupid the lie is it will be well accepted at university campuses all over this country. But you get somebody who tries to speak the truth, and you're going to get riots, you're going to get bloodshed, things are going to blow up, and there's not going to be any mad rush to uh, prosecute these people either, by the way. Okay? And um, in fact, what was, it, just two ladies just wrote a book about how this next generation through the schools that they're being programmed to be spoiled brats who riot anytime somebody disagrees with them. And so what happened when they spoke with Steve Forbes, they they spoke at a conference, the, the people rioted and threw things at them. So it's kind of an endorsement of the book. And then they tried to destroy as many of the books as, copies of the books as they could get their hands on. And, um, uh, but, Uh, It was way worse for the Thessalonians back then, but we're moving in that direction. When they received the word, it was in much affliction, much suffering, you know? I mean, there was a time in America where you could probably go up a couple notches in popularity if you came to Christ. That's grandpa's America. That's not our America anymore. You sign up with King Jesus... Even if you're a peaceful, nice, quiet person, you've declared war on this world because the world has declared war on Christ. So they received the word in much affliction, yet with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Now, look, believers suffer and non-believers suffer. There's, There's some false preachers on television that try to tell you if you become a believer... No lack of faith, no unconfessed sin, you're not going to suffer. God's going to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. That's a false gospel, okay? Um, We suffer just like the world suffers. Only when we suffer, we don't suffer alone. King Jesus is there with us, and we have access to God's joy. Even in the midst of sufferings. Things could go our way, things could go up, things could go down, and we still maintain the joy of the Lord through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, uh, the Thessalonians, by doing this, were becoming examples for the newer believers in Macedonia and Achaia and Greece. So accepting the word with joy, despite the suffering, that sets a great example for others. Okay? Um and believe, believe me, we, we really need to know that accepting the word of God, submitting to the word of God with joy in the midst of sufferings will set a great example. And w- one of the reasons why we need to know that is because sometimes you get locked up for preaching the gospel and they could put you away in solitary confinement. Don't tell me that America doesn't do that kind of thing, okay? After the service, we could talk. I can explain to you how we got people locked up because uh, what they said was politically incorrect, and they put them in solitary confinement, and, and don't let them communicate even with their lawyers, let alone their families. After a while, you feel like you fell off the face of the earth. You feel like nobody even knows that you exist. Okay? What this passage is telling us, Paul says, look, you submit to the word of God with joy in the midst of your suffering. People are watching. You might feel like nobody cares. You might feel like nobody's noticing, nobody's watching. But there are people who are watching, okay? This is why Tertullian, 221 A.D., the church father Tertullian said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. What he was saying is Christians being willing to die for their faith that's what was causing Christianity to grow in leaps and bounds. Now, we got a spoiled church right now. We don't want to suffer. We want Jesus without the suffering because we've had so little of it in America. You know, Paul, 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul's about to be executed. He says, all who desire to live godly lives will suffer persecution. We've just had people say bad words. You know, we just kind of, and we got thin skin, so we feel like we're, you know, having a Job situation because somebody gave us a bad bad name or something. And um, uh, But I tell you, people will watch. When we're willing to suffer for the cause of righteousness, when we're willing to suffer for Christ, when we're willing to suffer <clears throat> for God's truth, um, it's going to be setting an example for others. And uh no by the way n- nobody's nobody's attracted to a christianity without conviction. Nobody's I don't think anybody's attracted to anything if there's no passion. Are you sold out for Jesus? I don't know. Sometimes I don't even know if I'm sold out for Jesus. We got to say good days, bad days, whether people applaud and say amen or whether they throw rocks and bounce them off my head. I'm going to preach Jesus till he comes back. You know, trusting Jesus to feel good now. He promises us glory. He promises us crowns and a throne. Right now, he's promised you a cross. Are you willing to take that cross and follow Jesus in the path of obedience? Um, Just read recently that one preacher said, everybody wants a lighter cross. I don't want that cross, Lord. Could you give me just a little lighter one? You know? But the Thessalonians became examples for those in Macedonia and Achaia, because they accepted the word with joy despite the sufferings. So a tremendous example. And so from their church, the word of God has sounded forth. It became the home base for Paul's missionary work in Europe. Their faith toward God had spread. And I'm you, this, this is what James talked about, that true saving faith produces good works. True saving faith changes lives. If you've trusted in Jesus for salvation, the Holy Spirit indwells you, begins to change you from within, people will see that change. Word will get out. Here's the people that love one another. Here's the people who have hope in the midst of sufferings. Here's the people who have joy in the midst of sufferings. Here's the people who trust in their God, no matter how bad things get. We want to be like, the Thessalonians, and, and their passion for the Lord. But true saving faith produces um, good works. So their, their faith toward God had spread and then to the point where Paul and his colleagues said, you know, we don't even need to say anything. Because the Holy Spirit was at work in the lives of the Thessalonians, so the message of the Thessalonians' faith uh, did the talking. Their changed lives proclaimed the message. Now, Paul's not saying that, uh, therefore, I'm not going to preach the gospel anymore, okay? But he's basically, he doesn't have to argue with people a whole lot about the reality of the Christian gospel when he can point at a group of people, the Thessalonians, and say, see how God changed their lives. They went from idolatry and paganism to worshiping the one true God. Look at them now. Look at their faith, look at their hope, look at their love. <clears throat> so it's my, my prayer, you know, it, it's my prayer that we will stick out like a sore thumb, that people say, that's got to be one of those Trinity Bible Fellowship people because that guy's too on fire for Jesus, okay? That guy's got a lot more passion for Jesus than I expect. By the way, there's other Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches in our in our town, in our county, in western Washington. Praise God for that. But we need to stick out like a sore thumb, okay? Because uh, because we're not the same. We're not who we used to be, okay? And, um, and you know, the, Satan's going to try to bring back that old man in my life, in your life. So when you walk with the Lord, let me tell you something. When you walk with the Lord, never... Switch the gears to autopilot. Never try to just go through the motions. Because Satan is roaming this earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay? You don't put it on autopilot moment by moment, day by day. You walk with Jesus. And you intentionally serve him. You study his word. You be a person of prayer And uh, But their faith toward God had spread. Paul and his colleagues didn't even need to say anything. The Holy Spirit was at work in such a powerful way in the lives of the Thessalonians that the message of the Thessalonians' faith did the talking. Their changed lives proclaimed the message. How were their lives changed? Well, he explains it in verses 9 and 10. So look at verses 9 and 10 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a whole lot there. You can write a book about those two verses. True saving faith produces good works. The changed lives of the Thessalonians proclaimed the gospel message. It showed that Jesus is real. Well, it was because the Thessalonians had turned to God from idols. So some of the Jews came to Christ, but a lot were Gentiles. Maybe even some of the Gentiles who were looking into Jesus or were looking into the Judaism, the Jewish faith, but they were also looking into some of the false gods as well. And um, and so it seems that the Thessalonian church, Paul had a bigger, uh, more of an open door with the Gentile pagans, and they were turning to God from idols. The living God, false gods are dead. The true God, false gods are false. That's why we call them false gods. They turned to God and waited for his son from heaven, okay, They talk about God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul's writing about 50 A.D., maybe 51 A.D., less than 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion, yet he's already talking about the bodily resurrection. Well, he quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, around the same time, or a few years later, he quotes to the Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3-8, an ancient creed, which gives a summary list of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, that goes all the way back to the early 30s A.D., okay? So what I'm basically saying is without the bodily resurrection of Jesus and without Jesus being worshipped as God, there would be no such thing as Christianity. So don't listen to these liberal theologians, these radical theologians trying to explain away Christianity there would be no break from Judaism. The Jews would not have kicked the Christians out of the church or out of the assembly of the Jews and all had they not worshipped Jesus as God and taught that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. This goes back to the earliest days of Christianity. Okay, So you, you, the liberal theologians are looking for legends to develop. And they used to think it developed over a couple hundred years. Then we found older manuscripts, Then we started realizing, gee, what are the pupils of the apostles? What did they teach? And and then we started finding these ancient creeds and sermons quoted in the scriptures goes right back to the time itself. But see, the Thessalonians, by turning to God from idols, they were telling the world, they were telling their culture, they were telling the world, my God's bigger than your God. What is wrong with us? The American church, I don't, I don't think that the world's saying that message I hear over and over again from those Christians is that my God is bigger than your God. I, don't, I do not think that that's, that's the big message that the uh, world's getting from the church. I think the message that the world is getting from the American church, we're so watered down, is that we serve a puny God... And we want to apologize if we offend anybody. And uh, let us know. We know what our beliefs are today, but let us know if you want us to change them tomorrow because we're willing to accommodate. Okay? I'm telling you, if the shepherd boy David had that kind of attitude when he fought Goliath, things would be bad on planet Earth. Because he would have got crushed, he would have got killed that day, and that's before he had any sons. And Jesus is in the messianic line. Jesus is in the line of David. We got to tell the world. Look, Mike, I we're not apo- I'm not apologizing for being a Christian. That's one of the sad things about apologetics. The Greek word apologia meant to make a firm, strong, rational defense of your beliefs. But over the years, to apologize began to make excuses. So when you apologize to somebody, you say, oh, I'm really sorry that I'm the way I am or that I said what I said, I did wrong, and this and that. And uh, no, we need to make a strong defense of the faith, and we need to be confident, and we need to turn our, tell our culture that my God is bigger than your God. Now, you might be sitting here, Pastor, and saying, Pastor Phil, okay, that was for the Thessalonians, but not us. We're 21st century Americans. We didn't turn to God from idols. We're too sophisticated for that. You'll never catch us Americans bowing down before statues of four-legged creatures and stuff. We're way more sophisticated than that. I'm not too sure of that. Um, Look at Jeremiah, chapter 2, and verse 13. Jeremiah, chapter 2, and verse 13. We love to go in the Old Testament and see how many times the the nation of Israel blew it and ticked off God. And then we failed to realize that the American church were doing it even worse than they were. I mean, it was just like, come on, let's learn from their mistakes instead of repeating them. But God was really mad at Israel and he said this in Jeremiah 2.13, for my people have committed two evils. Okay, number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters... And then number two, and yune themselves cisterns. They built cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Okay? I was in a few cisterns when I went to uh, Israel on both my trips to Israel. Some of the cisterns, are, they're rocky ground, uh, chipped out man-made containers, chipped out of rocky ground to collect rainwater. So some of the cisterns are as big as this room as high up, as wide, as long. Some of them are even bigger. Some of them still hold water, collects rainwater, okay? And um, the thing is, most of them are, like, covered, okay, sometimes with natural terrain. At one time, they'd make them without it covered, and then they realized realize, we've got to cover it, man. Got you go to get some water from a broken cistern because there's not a lot of well water, and you look, and there's a dead deer floating in there. I mean, it's like, who wants to drink that? So you cover it, but you still get the little bugs in. So then they put drain pipes, put some cloth to catch out as many bugs as possible. But it's still the water is probably, probably looked a little, a little brownish. Probably stunk. That's why the Jews would add a little bit of wine with the water. The alcohol would kill some of the germs. The uh, fruit of the vine, the the grape juice would give it a little bit of flavor. Okay, that's probably why Paul told Timothy. For your stomach problem, drink a little bit of wine. Don't just drink water alone. The water back then was just the pits, especially in the land of Israel. So, I mean, drinking water from a cistern isn't the the most tasty thing to do. But if it's a broken cistern, it has cracks in it, and the water leaks out. So then you get a big, empty container the size of this room. And um, we usually don't translate them as cisterns, but when Jeremiah, when the Jews didn't like his message, by the way, uh, the more the American Church waters things down, the more likely you're going to get receive friendly fire. You're gonna, we're going to have our Christian brothers and sisters even more than they do it now, saying that we're too fanatical. Oh, Fernandez, why don't you just keep quiet? You keep saying the Bible's totally God's word without error and. And don't you know what New Testament scholars have found and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And and I'm like, don't you know the assumptions they made before they supposedly found this, quote, unquote, new truth? Um, Now we got Christian apologists teaching that God used evolution. They're going to be training our future pastors. So we're going to receive more and more friendly fire. But Jeremiah, from receiving friendly fire, he was preaching to the Jews. He wasn't even preaching to the pagans. What did they do? They, they beat him up and threw him into a broken cistern, okay? Joseph and his brothers, when they beat him up, they threw him into a broken cistern. See, a broken cistern, if a cistern's filled with water, it's filled with polluted water. We all need water to live, but you got to do something with that water, it's going to kill you, okay? But a broken cistern can't even hold any water, all all the the only thing that a broken cistern is useful for is to imprison people, okay and I would argue we we all all of us have broken cisterns. a broken cistern you know you need to turn to Jesus for living water. if you turn to anything else but Jesus in your search for living water to quench your thirst for God, it's a broken cistern. And broken cisterns can be bad things, like alcoholism and drug abuse and sexual immorality. Okay? Uh, Sometimes a broken cistern can be a good thing, like a marriage or a family or a career. If you like a good thing more than you like the best thing, which is King Jesus himself, it becomes a broken cistern. It becomes an idol. Okay? God is still in the business of smashing idols. Okay? And uh, so whatever it is, uh, don't look down on the Thessalonians. We also turn to God from idols. Our idols might not have been as obvious, but we had things that we loved, even more uh, than Jesus. So a false idol is anything we love more than Jesus. Look at Matthew 18, verses 6 to 9. Matthew chapter 18. In fact, we'll look at Matthew 18, uh, verses 8 and 9. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. And so what Jesus is saying there is that if there's anything you love more than Jesus, if there's any sin that is so important to you that that's preventing you from coming to Jesus, You would be much better off just getting that out of your life, okay? Um, Napoleon Kaufman was one of my favorite. I'm a Raider fan. I've come out of the closet on that a long time ago. I'm a Raider fan, and Napoleon Kaufman, he used to play at UW. He's not much taller than me. They used to lie about his height. And um, I'd say he was 5'11". The guy might have been 5'7". But he weighed 195, powerful guy, fast guy. He'd run kickoffs back. He'd run over linebackers, even being a little guy. He had great moves and stuff. But he kept getting injured and uh, hamstring pulls mainly. That's what happens to the sprinters in the NFL. They're always getting hamstring pulls and hamstring tears. And, and I wanted him to just take one year off because he was only like about 28 at the time. And then I thought he'd have another four or five good years left in him. But he just retired. And I'm like, oh, man, what a bummer, and this and that and everything. Uh, I didn't know that he had just become a Christian. I didn't know that he decided he was going to study for the ministry. I didn't know he preaches now in Oakland. He has a church, and he's had it for a decade or two now. In fact, they used to play his sermons right before my sermons on uh, K-Life 1300 AM. On Sunday mornings, and um, and so th- the thing is, you can okay. Let's say you're T- Tim Tebow, and you want to play football. And let's say the NFL has a place for uh, has a place for a quarterback who talks about Jesus all the time. Well, they don't really have a place for somebody like that. But if they did, Tim Tebow would be mature enough in the Lord and be able to say, "Hey, I'm not playing f- football. Isn't my God? I can play football." but I'm serving Jesus. That's number one, okay? For some of us, we have to say, you know what? I need to make the complete break with football. The way the way God has called me to carry my cross, I need to make that complete break. And so if there's something, if there's anything, it could be a good thing, it could be a bad thing, if you make it more important to you than Jesus, that's an idol that needs to be smashed. See, Jesus hasn't changed. He's still cleansing the temple. He started his ministry by cleansing the temple. And he closed his ministry by cleansing the temple. Well, right now, what's the temple? Our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is in the business of smashing idols and cleansing temples. We got to start the American church, myself included, the American church, we have to stop playing games with God. Okay? Either either Jesus is real or he's not. But if there's anything in your life, if there's anything in my life that we love more than we love Jesus, we need to get rid of that. And that's the way it was with the Thessalonians when they turned to God from idols. Okay? And, uh, and so they turned to God from idols. People were, were watching. And I'm telling you, for us, now is the time to smash idols in the American church. Now is the time to smash idols in our lives. Some, I'll, I'll be honest with you. Some of us, and I'm not saying people in this congregation, but some American Christians are sliming in their walks with the Lord, and they're thinking, but don't worry. When it gets hot in the kitchen, I'm going to turn on the light switch and I'll become like the Apostle Paul, okay? Let me tell you something. I've had students like that, especially male students, really smart guys but didn't study hard. Their grades weren't that great. There's probably a few people convicted about this right now, but, and, then, and then it's like when I, when I get out of high school, I'll go to college, I'll turn the light switch, and things are going to get great. Some of them are able to do that. Some of them aren't. I had one guy who used to sleep through my class. Every 10 minutes, I had to wake him up. And, um, and then the guy went on to uh, St. Martin's University, turned on a light switch, and 4.0 student, majored in political science. But it's not guaranteed. Some of us think, well, when it gets hot in the kitchen, I'll turn on the light switch, and I'll be serving the Lord. No, some of us, the old habits are hard to break, Okay. Don't tell me you're going to die for Jesus when things get bad if you can't live for Jesus when things are good, okay? So while things are still good, while we're still free to wear it, by the way, we're not really quite as free as before. You want to talk to Pat? You can talk to Pat about why one of our sermons, one of our recent sermons got taken down from YouTube for violating community standards. Can't even tell you what it's about, or they take this one down too. All I got to do is say one word, and down the tubes. And um, but overall, things are still pretty good with the church. We can still preach the gospel and call sin sin. And yeah, some of us are going to lose our jobs and this and that. But it's not it's not to the point where people are beating us up on a regular basis and imprisoning us and executing us. Though I think that's the direction that we're heading. But what makes you think you're going to die for Jesus when things get bad, when you can't live for Jesus, when things are still pretty good? Okay, serve so them. now. Make that decision now. Don't wait till somebody puts a gun to your head. Don't wait till a SWAT team, the Gestapo, breaks down your door because they find out you're having illegal home Bible studies in your house. You might be, thinking, oh, Pastor Phil, you're really exaggerating. What about the 16-year-old kid in uh, the, the Canada, the Canadian Catholic school? The girls were complaining to this, this young man. Not all 16-year-old boys are young men. This guy's a young man. They were complaining they felt uncomfortable because guys were using the ladies' bathroom. So he complained about it to a teacher. The teacher accused him of being transphobic or whatever. Um, then they had a discussion in class. He quoted from Bible passages, which he thought was okay in a Catholic school. And um, um, and he got in more trouble. So then what they did was they sus- expelled him from a couple of his classes, but he still showed up for the classes. So they got the police. So you can watch the video footage of him being cuffed and taken away. Just for saying that look, God made us male and female. Okay. And but, by the way, Where did I first see this? It was on EWTN, the Roman Catholic station. Because they're real Catholics who are upset with the fake Catholics. Like that school. But I'm telling you, I mean, it's to the point, to the north of us, you could end up going to jail just because you say, uh, boys are boys and girls are girls. And boys shouldn't be using the girls' uh, bathroom, okay? Okay. So things aren't quite as good as they should be, but it's going to get uh, a lot worse. And so as the Thessalonians turned to God from idols, we need to turn to God from the idols in our lives, the broken cisterns in our lives. And, uh, and then uh, Paul says there, closing out this chapter, that they turned from idols to the living and true God and to wait, For his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, bodily resurrection, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Okay? And so Jesus will deliver us from God's wrath. Now, I'm of the view that God's wrath comes after the tribulation. Jesus said the sun will be darkened, the moon won't give us light, stars will fall from the sky immediately after the tribulation of those days. Matthew 24, 29 to 31. In Revelation uh, 6, 12 to 17, those same events in the sky occur at the sixth seal, and that's when people go into caves and cry out for the rocks to fall on him for the wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb has, has come, okay? And uh, whereas Revelation 12, 9, verse 9 and verse 12 says that when Satan gets kicked out of heaven by Michael the archangel and his angels, then Satan's wrath. Will be poured out uh, upon the earth in the tribulation. So I don't see God delivering us, Jesus uh, delivering us from God's wrath. I don't see that as before the tribulation. I see that as after the tribulation. What I'm just saying is, we need to be prepared. No matter what your view is, be willing, be prepared to suffer for Christ, because it's going to get incredibly hot in the kitchen before Jesus comes back. Okay, and um, God's wrath is eternal. At Christ's uh, return, Jesus will pour out God's wrath upon the world, and then his wrath will continue uh, forever and ever. But Christians are promised that Jesus will return and deliver us from God's wrath. Now, we need, in closing here, looking at First Thessalonians chapter 1, We need to pray for other believers and thank God for them. Sometimes it's not easy to thank God for other believers. Sometimes they can get on our nerves, okay? Uh, We need to appreciate the labor, faith, and love of other believers. We need to preach the gospel not just in words, but also in the power of the Holy Spirit. That movie just came out. I haven't seen it yet, but I've read the book several times. Uh, by Greg Laurie, Jesus Revolution, about Chuck Smith and the Calvary Chapel movement, okay? I've often told people if, if, if true revival ever occurred in my lifetime, it was the Calvary Chapel movement with Chuck Smith, okay? Now there's people talking about the Asbury, Kentucky revival. Only time will tell. People ask me. I love that people are crying out to God for forgiveness and claiming to trust in Jesus for salvation, and they're passionate about it and all. But my definition of a revival, I'm not going to know for sure, at least for another five or 10 years to see has that transformed. It doesn't, revival does not have to transform a culture. Okay? You can have, in America, the church is so bad, we need revival to transform the church. Just to solidify the remnant, we need revival. And so I hope and pray that that's revival. First Corinthians four twenty: the kingdom of God does not consist in words, but in power. Yes, we preach the words of the gospel, but where's the power? Are people coming to Christ, and are we seeing transformed lives? If the Holy Spirit's involved, that's what we should be seeing. And uh, I hope the Asbury, Kentucky revival is real. We need revival ourselves. By the way, just just the fact that we need revival shows we're not where we ought to be. If we were 100% on fire for King Jesus, we wouldn't need to be revived. But I doubt there's anybody in this room, myself included, who doesn't need to be revived. We all are unfaithful to our faithful God in one way or another. We all stray We need to set a good example for other believers and experience the Holy Spirit's joy in the midst of suffering. Let me tell you something. God commands us to have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. God doesn't command us to have feelings. Joy is a choice, love is a choice. We need to turn to God from idols. What idols need to be smashed in our lives? We need to serve the living and true God and expectantly wait for the risen Savior. To return, he conquered the grave and he's going to come back. I don't care what the the world's most quote unquote powerful people say, uh, King Jesus is coming back to take what is rightfully his, what he won through his death and resurrection. Trust Jesus to deliver us from the coming wrath of God. Don't trust the government. Ronald Reagan said, like the scariest words ever uttered were, We're from the government, we're here to help. Okay, let me tell you. Our help and our hope is in the Lord Jesus. Maranatha, come, Lord, come. Our hope is in the Triune God—the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We don't—we don't hope in ourselves, in the government, and false gods. Our hope is in the Triune God, and then we need to experience God's joy even in the midst of our suffering and affliction. As your pastor, I'd be lying to you if I told you that our future is looking really good here in America. Um, We have a culture that doesn't love Jesus, okay? And if you love Jesus, you know, Jesus said, if you find the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. Um, You know... I'm telling you, and I'm telling you, if you've got a government that doesn't love God and at least love God's laws and submit to God's laws, then that means your government doesn't love you anymore. The government is not serving Americans right now. It's trying to enslave Americans. And, um, and Christians are at the top of the list. Because when the government wants us to say Caesar is Lord, we say no. Jesus is Lord. Why? Because my God's bigger than your God, Caesar. My God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Peter, Paul, and John. My God is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Lamb who was slain, but he's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. You might not believe it. Mr. Gates. You might not believe it, Mr. Schwab. You might not believe it, Mr. Biden. But my God it's coming back. You still got time to repent. You bend the knee now. You don't bend the knee now, you're going to bend the knee later. Against your will. Uh, but every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord because he is. Our God is bigger than their God. How come we don't act that way? We're going to receive the Lord's Supper. It just gives us another opportunity to recommit our lives to King Jesus. John's going to lead